0: Hello and welcome to Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvind. And as always, I am joined by Grant Little. Today, we're going to talk about, unfortunately, rounded Madrid 5-0 loss to Barcelona. Manita, which ended up securing Barcelona's league title. Disappointing, unfortunate, but I don't know if this exact scoreline was expected, given what happened last match. But I, I think that's worth talking about in terms of Maybe that was a little delusional or not, but Madavistas came in feeling somewhat confident they could they could put up a, a fight. And maybe we did for a little bit, but Barcelona's quality was too much and obviously completely deserved. There's no way we can try to take away anything from what this side has accomplished. If you guys have been listening to us consistently, you know how much we admire this Barça team and respect what they're accomplishing for, for Spanish women's football and just the sheer quality they have. So just to put into perspective what they've done. It's 24 match days, a still entire third of the season to go. And Barcelona, with this win, have secured the league title, having won every single game, having scored 136 goals and conceded only six, giving them a goal difference per game of 5.24, if I'm remembering the calculations I did correctly. That is absolutely insane and completely reflective of their total dominance over the sport right now. This was a side that put out a really strong 11. Let's not try to pretend that it wasn't, but they have a bunch of injuries right now. I think Carolina Graham Hansett had only kind of just come back, but Mariona is out, Leaky Martins is out, Irene Paredes is out, and we'll see how that affects them in the Champions League, but it doesn't matter because they have, they have so many good players, and whoever they kind of put out, it, it's still devastating and obviously we'll get into that and we'll talk about it, how it worked out on the day for Real Madrid. None of us had a great time, but Grant in particular, my man was suffering out there, <laughs> writing the immediate reaction, thinking the game was over, looking up and realizing there were still 10 minutes left. A tough day.
1: Yeah, it was it was rough. I mean, with the immediate reaction, I'm live tweeting, I'm writing down like all the chances. And Barcelona is just racking up chance after chance, and every time I look up, there's another chance or another goal. And I was just, I was drowning in that immediate reaction. But you know, such is life. When we play Barcelona, we get to do it two more times in like a month. So, gonna be wonderful.
0: Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that as much as uh, my buddy FJ, who's a who's a tactics analysis guy for a Barcelona fan on Twitter, who is a worthy follow at Ankara Hansen and uh, we go back and forth a lot because there aren't that many analysis people yet in the WOSO community and uh, he was of the opinion that Madrid playing Barca so many times was actually an advantage you know we'd figure out how to get closer to them and I see what he's saying but I don't think that's really how it works not at this stage when the difference is so big I think playing Barca the least amount of times possible is the best thing for us In terms of like, if we're we're trying to go as far as we can in a knockout tournament, right? I mean, in the league, there's value to facing them, even though we know we're going to lose, because it allows us to continually test ourselves, see where our level is at. And I think the big takeaway here, at least not for me, because I always knew this, I don't really think for you, because you're not one to overreact either. But the big takeaway is that the level between us is still massive. And there was a big reaction after we lost only 1-0 at home. We did agree, both you and I, that that was our best performance to date. Ultimately, we should have lost more than 1-0. I think the XG for that game was like 4.5 or something. Obviously, game state needs to be taken into account, right? Because they only ended up scoring very late. And so when you adjust for that, I would say like defensively, it was one of our better performances versus them, right? Because had they gone up 1-0, you know, 2-0 earlier in the first half or something, maybe they wouldn't have pushed as hard. But ultimately, we had nothing going offensively. We were going to lose that game. We deserved to lose that game. We were dominated pretty handily. And, you know, we want to grasp onto something because it is a bit painful to think about how long it is going to take to be able to get to Barca's level. And so people are like, we're closing the gap every game, getting closer and closer. The problem is the only way you can move from one nil is to a draw and then to a win and that, that's just not going to happen. I do think there have been marginal steps forward, but in terms of making that actual leap to be able to compete with Barca in a football match has not happened. And it's going to take, I think, a lot more time for that to happen. There is no substitute for time and investment. And I think this was a good reality check for where we are compared to them, right? Away from home, finished off their chances early, and I would say there's not too much different in terms of the quality of the performance you put in today versus the 1-0 loss. I don't know how you feel about that, Grant, at least while the game was competitive. I think that just shows you, right, like don't really, this, the scoreline does not matter when you're playing Barca in terms of assessing your performance, right? Be really smart about what you're picking out when, when you're facing this team about what matters to your context as a side when evaluating the performance. And I think that's what we're going to do today, Grant. So. Just real quick before we get into it, do you agree that this was on the balance of things, at least for a little bit, kind of similar in terms of the quality of our performance to the 1-0 loss?
1: Yeah, I think it was pretty similar. I even think some of the defensive tactics we had were pretty similar to that. The only thing is, is I thought Barcelona started this game sharper than they started the other game. And honestly, they probably should have had a goal in the fourth minute, which would have probably really changed the game. At that point,
0: yeah, Barca like did not start the first half well at all when they played us last time. It it took them like 20 minutes to to really get going. I thought there was some rust for Barca here today, some early giveaways. Like the one real chance we had was when Andrea Pereira, I think, gives the ball away. We're able to play Atenea one versus one with Mapi. Like the one time Mapi comes up short and Atenea just absolutely dusts her with a shoulder drop and puts a pretty weak shot on goal. I think that was, that was, those are, that's like the one moment everyone has versus Barcelona. It's just like, you got to take that. But all the players know that that's the one moment. And so the pressure is just incalculably greater on those chances than versus any other side. And so they don't end up taking them. I think that was what happened in that moment. But getting a bit ahead of ourselves here, lineups. I think it's all but confirmed now that the reason we dropped players versus Atleti was for this game. And maybe that's the first thing we need to address. But let's quickly just spell out the lineups for both sides. So Misa and goal. Olga, Kenty, fullbacks. Ivana, Bob's center backs. Notable that Ivana has switched back to the left-hand side. <laughs> Gotta get that in there. <laughs> Teresa, Kasi, double pivot. Atenea playing on the right. Maite playing as this kind of false winger attacking mid off the left. Aslani, Esther up top. 442 slash 4231 type thing. Barca, Sandra Panos in goal, Marta Torajon and Leila as the fullbacks, Andrea Pereira and Mapi as the centerbacks. Obviously, Irene is injured. Patrick Gijaro, Alexia Puteas, Aitana Bonmati, the most terrifying midfield trio in world football. And Jenny playing as a false nine, flanked by Fridolino Rolfo on the left and the most terrifying winger in world football on the right in Carolina Graham Hansen so those are your lineups not that interested in Barca's because it's pretty standard especially with the people they have out this is basically what I expected Madrid is interesting not because there were many surprises here but because Kenty starts Aslani starts Maite starts Ivana starts the four players who did not start versus Atleti how do you feel about this now, knowing that this is basically a confirmation as to why we decided to rest these players in the Derby?
1: I think it's stupid. We probably should have played our best 11 against Atleti. We should have honestly rested this game and then had our quote unquote best choice 11 for the Copa de la Reina match and the match against Tenerife. I think that a lot of people fall into this kind of cliche or assumption that, you know, Barcelona is our biggest rivals in the men's game, so they're our biggest rivals in the women's game. And right now we can't even really be considered rivals with them because we're so far away. We need we were never going to win this game. We were never going to draw this game. But we do need to win the other games if we want to get into the Champions League and be in those top three spaces where we expect to be. So to kind of play your best 11 and tire them out in a game where they're going to run around and defend for 90 minutes and still get humiliated just seems asinine to me.
0: Yeah, I don't think there was any reason for it. I think we have this idea about we need to present a good image for Real Madrid in these games. It's just like, come on. (laughs) I mean... There's nothing that can be done. Like You can can put out whoever you want. It's not going to close the gap to Barca. It's not going to make enough of a difference, right? The difference between losing 5-0 and 7-0 isn't really that much for your image. And you know what? I care a lot more about image and what will actually be better for our image making the Champions League next season. Now we end up beating Atleti. I think everyone knows that was a bad performance and we got extremely lucky there. As we covered in our previous podcast, there's an interesting point you make about who is the rival here. And everyone who follows Madrid Femenino kind of knows that already, right? But I think it's worth pointing out that we have already like a real serious rivalry with Atletico Madrid. We have had some classic games and we're on pretty similar levels. Like that to me is the most intriguing matchup every single time in Primera Iberdrola, the most compelling one. And that's the one that's going to be the biggest for a couple of years because Atleti are going to keep finding ways to reinforce and try to get better because they have significant ambitions. Remember, Barca knocked them off the perch. They were league champions. So they're going to keep going at it, trying to hold us off, trying to maintain being the best team in Madrid. That is the rivalry I really care about right now because it has the most significance. It has the most intrigue. It has the most heat between fans. Like, I wouldn't say there's not love lost between Barca and Madrid fans, but the amount of respect we have for them is a pretty different thing between us and Athletic. Like if you're asking for like, where's the rivalry in Spanish women's football, this is the one, like we don't like each other at this point because we're on each other's level. There's no real need for us to be like, Oh, wow. Look at how good you are. No, it's fuck you. Like we want to be better. Right. So I think it's a serious miscalculation. And I really think it's such a bad decision that it's worth talking about again, how dumb it is to, to rest your players not just for the derby but the fact that Atletico Madrid are in third place right now and we needed to get that victory and we did but it wasn't because of the lineup we put out. My last point on this is we did the live podcast yesterday yesterday being Saturday in DC and the Peña Madrilesta for DC an official Peña was there and we were having a little chat afterwards about they were talking about we need to put some stuff together some watch parties for the women's team and We were talking through like what would be the logistics for that and streaming and all of that. And we kind of came to the point that like Champions League games are the easiest ones to do because it's just on the zone and it's there on the YouTube channel for free. And even if it's not free next season, it will be broadcasted on television that people can access. We were we were talking about how maybe this season it wouldn't be possible for them, but next season it would be good, but we'd have to make the Champions League to enable something like that. And I do not think you can. Underemphasize how important it is for the growth, the exposure, and the quote unquote image, the word everyone loves to use for the women's team to make the Champions League. Because it just makes everything so much easier when it comes to broadcasting our girls to thousands, hundreds of thousands of more people. And it makes it easier on fan organizations like the Pena Madridista in DC to put something together, get people who aren't normally watching the women's team and put on a show for them. Like, I just don't say this stuff. Like it is absolutely massive. Like we're not just banging on about this because we're a bit frustrated by it. I genuinely think it is that consequential. And it's a huge miscalculation to make this classical, put it in higher importance than the Derby versus Atleti. Because to me right now, Everything is about making the Champions League year after year. To not do it one year sets us back for a year. It makes it harder for us to sign players. It makes it harder for us to look like a more attractive project, right? Like there's rumors about Aswani leaving and everything. She was here in the first place and probably took a pay cut renewing or not a pay cut, but probably could have earned more elsewhere. And she was here because she's a madridista. Not every player is going to be like that. And we can't just sign people who we're only going to be here because they're Madridista. We need to sign people who are top quality. If we want to bring Katoto here, if we want to compete for Viviana Midama, we need to be in the Champions League every single year and showing, up, showing the, the strength of our project. So yeah, that's why we've talked about this the way we have. That's why we started out the podcast like this, because every day I realize just how important it is. And I wish, or I hope now, Toril real, like really gets it. Like this is the objective here, not strutting out and thumping our chest versus Barca before getting kicked final. So enough of that. We've gone through the 11s. How did you feel about, I mean, we're kind of getting into it. You said Barca started off stronger. I agreed, but pointed out there were still some mistakes. How did you feel about the opening 10, 15 minutes, how we were defending, how the dynamic of the game was going?
1: Yeah. So like I said, I kind of alluded to it at the beginning. I thought what we did was really similar to what we did in that Supercopa match where one of the front two presses the ball and then one drops to Patri and they kind of try and limit central progression and just allow the space on in the wide areas. And immediately, you know, Barca has now seen that from us and knew how to deal with it a little better. Although I thought, like you said, their passes were sloppy at points, which allowed us some space to get the ball back and go on the counter. But they counter-pressed well at the beginning and really pinned us back which normally when we play Barcelona we have a usually like a good 5 or 10 minutes where we have our foot on the ball and we're kind of battling 50-50 and this time it just went like swung the pendulum swung all the way to Barcelona and they were looking to prove a point I think after that 1-0 result overall I was a little disappointed in the first 10 minutes and throughout the first half especially. I felt like we weren't really looking for an outlet and instead we were just bombing the ball forward. There were some times where we were able to find it there were times where the decision making of trying to hit the outlet that's already been is man marked. Like I thought there were a lot of options Where we could have tried to play a little more and instead we just continued to give the ball back to Barca and we weren't able to relieve pressure at all. I am slightly higher on
0: like our possession and what we were doing. Like obviously it's very true that Barca had us pinned back for the majority of the time. And the pressing and counter pressing was good. I kind of got the sense that the pressing was just like maybe three to four percent off what I'm normally used to seeing, because I think at this point in the season it's okay for them to do that. It makes sense for them to do that. And there were, there was no like five, 10 minute spell as you're talking about, but I did feel like there were moments here where we were breaking the first line playing into midfield and trying to get the ball to the forwards. And then things would break down. Like we didn't have like consecutive sequences and circulations and stuff like that. But I did get the sense that like in certain moments, we were kind of able to do things on the ball and this is probably the thing that's improved the most game after game is us not panicking as much on the ball when Bars are coming to press us and just going long and giving the ball away and nothing happening for us. Like In this game, I really felt like more than any others, we were trying to play through the pressure, trying to suck people forward, trying to hit gaps, trying to use the quality that we had on the pitch to make things work and actually find more controlled progressions into the final third and i thought it gave us moments of defensive relief because it just allowed us to even if we're still in our own half push forward a little bit and we lose the ball we have more time to to reorganize into our defensive shape afterwards and Barça just starting from a deeper point do you think that's fair or am i just am i just being too lenient and and no i think
1: there were isolated moments i think certain players were good overall i just wanted a little more and obviously like of course i did right like we got dominated but i just think that i've seen us do it better in other meetings with barcelona maybe that could be like hindsight but i really wanted Maite in midfield and i think that would have helped quite a bit i'm sure we'll, we'll get into it i don't know if you want to get into it now i would like the maite at wing experiment to be done especially with zornosa out because of the suspension you need your best midfielder in midfield and i think this season maite and zornosa have been our two best midfielders and you're forced to be without one of them in midfield so the other one needs to be in midfield i i did not like the move to put her out wide i think
0: that's just the place to go because i think it connects to you wanting more because i did want more we were doing stuff and then it would break down and ultimately what i want to see is us get into the final third and if it breaks down there it's a little more understandable because that's kind of more on player quality and w- way more dynamic moments i mean you can still structure things there but it's harder and it doesn't happen as often i want to get there first and it really wasn't happening for us in the first half and i think a big reason for that was kasi playing in that role now i i don't want to like just bang on her because The athletic game, Yash and I had a little bit of a back and forth on it. My point being, I don't think she's necessary. Yash pointing out her interception on the goal and then me trying to contextualize that within the net effect she had on the entire game. And look, Kasi will always have a place in boundary feminino history. And I'm not just saying that as like to give her like a, a token, like it's real. Like she came when we were shit, when we were struggling like hell. And early on was one of our better players and carried us through the toughest periods like those players will always be the most important in our history, in my mind, because those were the hardest moments and we desperately needed them at that point. But there's an element of ruthlessness that comes when you're trying to quickly progress to the elite. And I think at this point in time, when we're playing teams who apply so much pressure on us. I think we move past the need for someone like Kasi, where the trade-offs are just so huge. Obviously she has a lot of qualities defensively that I've highlighted in the past in the games versus Manchester city, for example, but her trade-offs on the ball just hurt us more in my opinion. And the other thing is we know that Maite and Tere are not vulnerabilities defensively. We've talked about that over and over again. So when you consider that and the trade-offs that happens with Kasi, where she just can't survive versus pressure in which matters versus a team where, ironically, or I don't know if that's ironic, but maybe counterintuitively, the best way to get defensive release versus Barca is to hold on to the ball for a bit because everyone sits off them, everyone stays compact, and it doesn't work. Right? You need to be able to push them back in some manner or the other. So you can cut out that endless pattern of wave after wave of attack. And Kasi is not the player to do that. She's a player you can put there and suffer for an entire match with her and she'll be great. But the issue is at least if you want to put in a better performance versus Barca and improve the image, you want to suffer versus them as little as possible. And Kasi just isn't the player for these types of games, in my opinion. And I say that out of no disrespect to her i mean i i like her she's a great professional and she's contributed a lot to the club but as i said there's an element of ruthlessness to this that's a bit unpleasant but it's kind of what it takes i think to to reach the higher level and so i think that it's not everything to say that oh my god we didn't build through barca just because of kasi would be ridiculous we could put anyone we want that we have on the squad currently in midfield we still wouldn't have been able to do it In a way that would have got us into the game and won it. But we'll talk about maybe how things looked a little different in the second half and how much we can actually take away from it given the scoreline. The other part of this is Maite playing on the left. And theoretically, I don't hate this idea of her being this kind of false winger in that she's really not out there. I mean, when she was on the right, she was, which was just bad. But when she's on the left, she's coming inside a little more. And she actually kind of mimics her number 10 role out there to a certain extent where she's more biased to the left-hand side anyway, except because she still is out there. It's it's just stuck more on that side. Sometimes she will have to come to the touchline. So it's not ideal, but it's technically workable. The issue is when so many things are breaking down in midfield, and as you said, we lack Sornoza. I think the relative gain of putting Maite in place of Kasi and pushing Olga up and playing Sveva at left-back as we did in the second half, is just much greater. So I think you've already kind of talked about your Mike Day point, but how do you feel about Kasi and her place in these types of games? Because the conventional wisdom, I think, and this is why coaches keep playing her, is like we're gonna suffer without the ball. So we need someone who's the who's the best against the ball. But my point is you can't really separate defense and offense, they operate on a continuum. And based on the mix of qualities that a player has on that continuum relative to the mix of qualities that we have with other players, it may not always be the best decision to play someone like Kasi. So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with your point about it being a continuum. And I also think that, you know, you, you have to suffer less when you have more of the ball. And a great way to have more of the ball, although it may be marginal or we still might not have the possession that we hope to have is by having midfielders like Terry and Maite who can release pressure, play progressive passes. They're the type of players that can really unlock a defense with one or two passes. So, like you said, they're not a liability defensively. I actually think they're extremely underrated defensively. And I think they just add so much in terms of the team's entire game plan, both defensively and offensively. That, that they're needed. I think Maite's press resistance, especially against Barcelona, we've, she's been one of those players like Misa who always comes up big in these games and really provides the difference and allows us to establish or get a foothold in the game.
0: So we were doing okay scoreline-wise until very late in the first half, and it was maybe looking like we could do another no-one loss again. But I think it's fair to point out that Barca were... We're creating a ton up until that point. I I think I saw on screen a few minutes before they ended up scoring, they had like 16 shots or something to our like one or two or 15 shots and six on target, I think is what I saw. And this is like the only team in the world where you can face something like that. And you can feel like, yeah, we're doing pretty well. Like, (laughs) and Yeah, you know what? I I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was, I felt like really similar to last time when we lost 1 0, except Barca were a bit sharper. They started quicker, so they had more attempts early on. And it was just that we were holding on with some really, really good box defending. I think Bob's and Ivana coming up big a number of times on that end. But it's just, it's the relentlessness of it. You can only survive that for so long, (laughs) unless a miracle like what happens versus Atleti, if that's what you're relying on then good luck defending is not about in just speaking in a broader perspective good defending is not about surviving everything that comes into the box as much as it is about preventing people from getting into the box in the first place if the opposition is getting into the box 20 times and a half that's it it's over it doesn't matter how good your defenders are it's just such valuable territory so close to goal something is going to go against you which is what ended up happening, which, and this was outside the box, but I think the generally, general point being that something like the deflection that happened off of Ivana, I think, and there's nothing Misa could do about it to open the scoring from Alexia taking that shot. It feels unfortunate in that moment, but when you're taking shot after shot over and over again, variance is bound to go against you eventually. Right, or in fact, that's just variance working as it works. Right, because the greater the volume, the likelier the chance of, of scoring from something. And I'm not saying we could have really done it anything differently to stop that. It just this is the difficulty of playing Barca, and dear God, they do not need a piece of luck, do they? Because right after that, they just smell blood, and Alexia ends up scoring again. And this is where I'm disappointed though, because I think on that goal it was unfortunate. On a lot of the The chances they created earlier, we had kept our focus to the very end, which is how we were able to make the last pitch tackle. On the sequence directly after the first goal, when they score the second, we fall asleep, and it's disappointing. It's difficult in this moment because we're kind of reorganizing. I can't remember whether we had the ball and just lost it or something, but basically the entire right side of our defense is disorganized. When the ball is played back to Patry, I don't know, like 25, 30, 35 yards from goal or something like that, and Esther, Atanea, and Tere are all kind of on that side and all covering the area from the flank to the box, basically, or, or maybe even further inside. And Kenti is not there because she's been forced to come inside because Rolfa has pinched all the way in and she needs to go with her. And that was the, that was a dynamic of, of Barcelona's offensive structure to just Take a quick detour so I can give you context, right? Barça playing with this 433 Jenny false nine with very different right-sided, left-sided dynamics. So on the right hand side, you have Carolina Graham Hansen playing much wider, Aitana Bonmati aggressively in the in the right high half space, and Marta Torrehan playing a little deeper off of that. And basically Aitana and Karo would interchange positions, look to play down the touch line and Set Kato one versus one versus Olga, make things happen. If that didn't work, Aitana would rotate to the other side, having attracted all of Madrid's attention in that flank. And when they go to the left flank, because Jenny is dropping off so much, Rolfa was almost like the striker, a lot of times occupying the defensive line by pinching inwards. Layla would be the one bombing forward to provide with. And then Alexia would be adjusting however she needed to adjust, which is very relevant on this play. I'm just about to describe in a nutshell, the dynamic of, of Barca's offense on two sides. And it's generally with them a story of the two sides of the pitch and how that operates. So on this one, Rolfo is pinched all the way inside because that's what she, her responsibility is on that role with Jenny playing there. And Alexia in this moment is deep, almost level with Esther at the point when Patri is receiving the ball. And she makes a darting run in behind on the blind side of Kenti, taking advantage of the fact that Rolfo has pinched inwards. And I don't know who it is, but one of Esther, Ateneo, and Ortere needs to read that, see what's happening, and go with her. All of them are asleep. It's a bit difficult because Alexia is making a deep run, and she does it in just a split second. Her ability to recognize spaces to attack is the most underrated aspect of her game, and it's so insanely valuable. But she recognized it so quickly. We're switched off. Patri, of course, sees it and plays A perfect ball on time, locked it over the top for Alexia. Kenty goes to recover. At that point, it's too late. The momentum is against her. Alexia just cuts against the grain as Kenty's coming towards her, goes inside, creates the space, and just lashes one into the far corner that Misa has no chance of getting once again, but this time not because of luck, but because of Alexia's quality. Then it's game over. Just going into the half, incredibly deflating, but this is the one where it disappoints me because as good as that play was, and as much as good offense is about taking advantage of mistakes like this, if I'm looking on that, that on film later, if I'm Tobil, it's like, you got to do better, guys. Like, It's a weird situation where it's not obvious whose responsibility that run is, but I almost f- prefer all of them reacting to go and get it and just being like, it has to be me. And we have to overreact to that situation. And if they play it back and Leila gets a free cross, so what? Like, that's that's a better thing to give up than an Alexio one versus one in the box. How do you feel about that? I mean, how harsh am I being? Do you think there's a way of identifying who should have been the one to, to go in and track that run? Or is it just an idea of, like, someone, anyone?
1: Yeah, I think... At the moment that it's happening, it's someone, anyone, I think, depending on the structure and how far Thoreal takes it back when you're looking at the tactics of doing film and that kind of stuff, maybe he's got his, like, whiteboard with the positioning and he said, this is where all of you should have been and that's why you're in the best position to get over there. But in that moment, in real time, someone, anyone, just needs to recognize that you're like, Alexia Puteas is unmarked on that side of the box like that is a (laughs) no-no like you cannot let that happen because she'll do exactly what she did um any anyone should have stepped to it really in my opinion but for all the all the talk about being unlucky on that first goal that they scored which was extremely unlucky felt bad for Ivana and Misa Barcelona were unlucky not to be ahead because I think in that fourth minute when Rolfo scored that header, I thought she was level. So they probably should have been 1-0 up already. And, you know, it felt like a gut punch when it happened. But I thought it was a deserved 1-0 halftime for both teams. Like, obviously, Barcelona created the most, put us under a ton of pressure. And if we went in at 1-0, I would have felt fine. The the 2-0 in this mistake was was the end of it, like you said.
0: Yeah, it's worth pointing out that once again in Premier Iberdrola, the offside calls just feel like a pure lottery. Barca were clearly on, Zawolfo was clearly onside. Torajon ends up scoring a set piece. I can't remember when that is. I think she was probably onside as well. It's like anything, any goal that's in behind is just going to be called offside. And we don't need to go into the standard of refereeing and everything and how... They need more support. A lot of them are amateurs coming up for lower divisions. They're filling the holes. We've discussed that. In a Classico, in a game like this, where I think at the Johan Cruyff Arena, they broke the record for attendance, which is like, yeah, I mean, Barca aren't our direct rivals, but this is still a huge draw for people when they watch it. So in that sense, I understand this whole thing about image. But again, already discussed that. But in a game like this, where more people are watching this league, then other times it's very bad look to have those types of decisions going on and it needs to be fixed and when I say it needs to be fixed I don't mean fire the referees and like hang them out to dry and like train them better find better referees like that's the solution here because it is quite bad and we're talking about decisions that went against Barca I don't care it needs to be better for everyone right we remember the time where last season we lost at the Johan Cruyff Arena, and then Moppy gets sent off for what isn't really a penalty, and I think Olga's the one who converts it, she ends up tweeting about it and gets suspended for multiple games. Like, yeah, instead of that reaction, let's actually address the problem because it's really bad every single time, and it's embarrassing to have people, like, telling me, like, what's going on with the referee here. And to be fair, that's all over WOSO, but these offside calls in particular feel like a Premier Irredo thing. So, yeah, well-deserved going into the break versus Barca. At that point in time, I think both of us were thinking, let's make some subs, right?
1: Yeah, I tweeted it out. I mean, there was no coming back. There was probably no coming back from 1-0 down against this team. There was definitely no coming back from 2-0 down. And at this point, I was like, let's take out everybody. We need to rest for levante copa de la reina and then tenerife on the weekend because those are must win games against direct rivals
0: tenerife being in fourth by the way and we keep ignoring them in this conversation about the race of the champions league spots maybe we shouldn't 24 match days in when they're ahead of us and i think level with with atleti so second half toriel does make a change but i think it's one to where he wants to still stay competitive in the game and Okay, fair enough, I guess. And Kasi ends up coming off for Sveva. That's the interesting one. And I just want to say real quick, everyone says Sophie Svava. And I thought that was how you pronounce it initially. And when I say everyone, the commentators, everyone says Svava. I'm just letting everyone know PSA, it's Sveva. And I know this because I found a video of her saying her name herself. Everyone who's listening to this, let's just change that because it's nice to pronounce people's names correctly, obviously not calling anyone out because, again, I was making that mistake for quite a long time. Anyway, Sveva ends up coming on for Kasi, And I think this is interesting because it's kind of what you and I were talking about. Maite moves into midfield, essentially just taking up Kasi's position. Olga up to the left wing, Sveva at left back. I want to say this is Toril recognizing that the issue was press resistance. The issue was being able to build and... Tassi was kind of an issue in that. I don't know how confident I am in actually concluding that. That's what I want to say. But it could also be a decision based on the idea that, like, we just need offense and now the trade-offs have changed when, for me, the trade-offs have been the same throughout the entire game. And throughout all of that, I want a ball playing midfield in its entirety. Whatever the reasoning, there's only so much point in speculating things we'll never know. It did feel like, to me, we got a lot better on the ball. This is where I want to be careful, because I don't want to do what I accuse other people of doing and being hypocritical, because the game state had changed. It was 2-0 up. Barso were a bit more relaxed, though, given the fact that they scored three more goals afterwards. I don't think you could truly say they'd taken their foot off the pedal, but clearly, defensively, they, they were not going to be as a team as they had been before. And that's just that happens every game with them. When they go 2-0 up, they, they kind of like take it down defensively, because... They know they can. And that's happened in the Champions League as well. So take, keep that into account when I say that I think our midfield looked way better. So generally, we've been talking about how nice it is Maite plays at the 10, she plays in these advanced positions. But I think in games like this, where getting out of the first third is so important, I think Maite holds the most value in deeper positions for the context of this squad where no other central midfielder has the level of press resistance that she does. And I thought there were some really, really nice moments from her turning out of pressure, working us down the right flank, putting out the good positions, and then obviously nothing came of it. What do you think of that? How much do you think is that just being like opportunistic and taking advantage of the fact that the second half was a different dynamic?
1: No, I would have given the same spiel as you there. I think, obviously, game state is a thing. They kind of sat back into... A mid block more than their pressing and relentless counter pressing but I think anytime you put Maite into the midfield you're going to get a lot out of that and and I thought she was good and I thought the midfield looked better all caveat by the fact that the game was over
0: I don't think we actually need this game to know that like there's a huge sample size for this that I think would support this opinion, which is why I feel a lot more comfortable saying it regardless of whether that's an accurate assessment of that portion of time. This also brings me back to the point about when you're assessing how you play versus Barca, it's not about the scoreline because we end up conceding three goals in the second half, right? It didn't really alter the game in any kind of meaningful way. It's about picking out the micro details for things that can apply to other situations in the future, right? This idea of if we're facing a side that's really pressing us, pinning us in our own half, maybe the solution is to have people who can get us out of our own half. That's what I'm talking about when you find things to take away that are actually relevant. Because if you're looking at what helped impact the scoreline, nothing is going to be relevant with the squad we have, with the tactics we have versus Barca. Then there's, it just becomes a pointless exercise. I think there are, if you be clever about it, and are able to isolate things in in a logical way to connect to the long-term, there are things to pull out. And I think this is one of them, which is when we are getting pressed, don't play Kasi in midfield, consider something else. Or if you're going to do it, it has to be a midfield three where Kasi is playing more of an off-ball role, pinning people up. We've seen stuff like that beforehand, and it's worked rather nicely. I don't think you can commit an entire half of the pitch to Kasi and expect her to handle it. I don't think that's fair on her. That's my takeaway from this, and it's really not because this match is just, this is one tiny bit of evidence on top of last season's evidence and everything up until this point. I don't know how much we want to, like, start going into things after this because it gets ugly pretty quickly. 60th minute, Patri Diharo scores an absolute screamer, and just from her taking myself out of my Madridista shoes for a bit, I'm glad for her because... She can go under the radar when Alexia is dominating and the forwards are are doing nice things. And scoring this screamer puts her on the map for people, especially those who might not watch Barca regularly, because up until that point, she was insane. She's 95th to 99th percentile in every single aspect of midfield play, offensive and defensive, which I don't think you can say about any other defensive midfielder in the game. She's crazy. And she's the youngest midfielder on the team. Well, actually, I don't know if she's younger than Aitana. If she's not, I'm going to cry because that's just an even scarier thought. But she's super young and hasn't reached her peak. And she's already the best defensive midfielder in the world. Props to Papi, a goal that put her on the map. And then I'm not even going to go through it. You can if you want to, Grant. But after that, Bob scores an own goal. And then in the 82nd minute, Jenny ends up scoring the fifth. And in the midst of all of that, after after the 4-0...
1: Can I tell you something real quick? Go ahead. Aitana's twenty-two and Patry's twenty-three. I'm gonna cry. (laughs) Oh, sweet god. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna cry. Oh
0: my god. Aitana's twenty-two. I don't know why I thought like
1: Google is telling me right now. I don't know why I
0: thought she's 24. Like, oh Oh, my god. Hold up.
1: Let me double check.
0: Don't stick me, stick a knife in my heart again. No, Aitana's twenty-four. My bad. Dang it. Fuck you, Grout. What the fuck? No, I
1: Googled Aitana and it brought up a singer. Oh my
0: God, Grant, yeah. Jesus Christ, you, you absolute criminal. Is
1: 24, pa three is 23, Aitana the, the singer is 22.
0: You emotional Very terrorist, bad. what is wrong yeah. with you? Oh my Very God, bad. Jesus Christ. Dude, I was, gonna, I was fighting for my life in that moment because Grant Little was like, <laughs> let me just fucking lie for a second. Okay, so that happened. Yeah, back to the game. In the midst of all of this, Toriel throws in the towel, Naikari on for Esther, Carolina Muller on for Olga, and Barca start making all their subs. Engine and uh, Yen, if we're talking about pronouncing names correctly, I've been told it's Ingrid and Yen on for Andrea Pereira, Claudia Pina on for Leila, and Ona Baradat on for Carolina Graham Hansen. The last two happened at the same time. The Ona Baradat sub, the 75th minute. 83rd, Maria Perez, Rabaza, all these youth players coming in for Patri. They also put on Melanie Serrano for Friedelina Lina so just taking everyone off. And then we end at the same time with Claudio Florentino on for Athanea. Do we want to mention anything there? Was there anything notable from the subs you pointed out? I wanted to see Nayukari Aslani after halftime because my preferred duo is Esther Aslani up top at this point in time. But we've seen so much of it. We know exactly what we're going to get. When we're 2-0 down... For me, it's the perfect time to see. Let's get a greater sample size of what Naikari Aslani looks like. We've seen tiny bits of it, but I don't think it's enough. Naikari seems like she might be in better form right now after recently scoring the goal. I thought I I was kind of excited. Like, while the game is semi-in balance, where we can kind of still be like, let's fight for something and see what it's like, I wanted to see what that duo was. Did you think you could take away anything from? Them being up top after we're 4-0 down, or that's just too late, and there is there is nothing.
1: I mean, the good thing was they both had chances. You know, Naikari in the 66th minute had that little, or in the 68th minute, excuse me, had that link up with Athenea, and she kind of shanked her shot, but got in a good position and got through the defense. Aslani had that shot from the tight angle in the 70th minute that forced Panios into a diving save. I don't know if you could say anything overarching about their relationship given the game state, but it was nice to see them getting in good positions.
0: It was nice to see some chances. And to be fair, that kind of tends to happen when Barca are up big. They fall asleep a little bit defensively. Oppositions, like if there's a time for them to get a consolation goal, it usually happens at that time. Though given the fact they've only conceded six goals in the league, it still doesn't happen that often. And I think, again, that, yeah, that idea of the pressure always being on whatever chance you take Versus Barca is a big part of that. So I think we're basically done talking about this game. We will always go into depth in every classical, but there's an element of like repetitiveness to how we talk about this because it is a very similar dynamic every single time. And it is going to take a while for us to get to their level. And I, I feel like keep repeating that because they are the model for what we should be trying to do. It took them a while, like from 2016, 2017 onwards, from signing Lika Martins at that point in time, building their midfield and having faith in what they were doing, trusting the likes of Aitana, Patri, signing key players like Carolina Graham-Hansen that took them to the next level, making calculated decisions to poach from rivals like Jenny Hermoso from Atleti. It built up over years through disappointing failure in the Champions League. Not once, but twice. Yeah, they lost in the final in heartbreaking fashion. And then they lost a crushing game in the semifinal, I think, the following year versus Wolfsburg. And then they went on they won, right? It's going to take a lot of work to get, to get to that level. Every time this happens to us, to me, it's valuable in that this is a reminder. We're not close. It's okay to accept that as long as we do everything we can to get to that point. In the short term, wipe this from our memories. It's gone. We knew this was going to happen to, in some capacity. Maybe we, we wanted better. Maybe we expected better even what happened last time. But it's happened. Now we move on to focus on all these other games that you were talking about, Grant, because here on it's just business time. Every single game in the league is a must win. And any potential drop points could end our, our chances of getting into the Champions League qualification spots. Because at this point in time, we have 41 points. 22 games, still a game in hand, uh, two games in hand on Atleti, a game in hand on Granadilla ahead of us. Granadilla has 46 points, so they could actually move ahead of Atleti if they draw or win their next game. Atleti with 46 points. We have 41. So if we we are able to make up that two-game gap with Atleti by winning both games, we would be one point ahead of them, but Granadilla would still be Two points ahead of us if I'm doing the math correctly. If everyone has is equal on games, so chop chop. We need to get results every single time now.
1: And, we and just so you head to head against Tenerife,
0: right? Which is Saturday, it's Saturday March 19th. Day. I'm si- seeing 10:45 a.m. I sincerely hope that is oh the time. God, I hope must win. It doesn't stop Levante. 7 a.m. March 26th. And they are in seventh place right now. They are not in the race for the Champions League anymore. Athletic Club would be the last one who maybe has a shot, but there's nothing more Levante would love than ruining it for someone, given that they're out of it. And they're, they're the best team outside the race for Champions League spot, sitting in seventh. That is one where we look at where like we have to win because that is, I guess, technically the easiest Three points, it feels really weird to say that about Levante. But that's, that's the one where we have to go there and be like, no excuses. We have to take that. Uh, yeah, and then the game I was missing in between because I was looking at Primera Iberdola's schedule, not Real Madrid specifically, but before we even play Granadilla on the weekend, Saturday, March 19th, we have the Copa de la Reina match versus Levante Wednesday, March 16th. How do we manage that? How far do we want to go in the Copa de la Reina? How much does that matter to us? What are we going to do there when we have Granadilla? We have the Champions League match versus Barca, March 22nd. And then there comes the league match versus Levante. And then there's the Champions League match versus Barcelona again. And then technically the relief game, which might end up being a banana peel for us when we play versus Sporting Huelva in April and we feel like relaxing. So the rest of the month of March, as we've been saying throughout all the last podcasts, is hell. And every single league match here versus Granada, Levante, are must wins here. And then it's three cup matches where we have to decide how important that is to us. How much does our image going to the Camp Nou in the first leg of the Champions League matter? Because if we thought this was bad in the Johan Cruyff Arena, where Barca were motivated to win the league title in emphatic fashion versus us, how motivated are they going to be when they are in front of a fully packed stadium? With all the lights on them, with the zone streaming this, with I think other TV channels maybe having it. And it's the Champions League and the first Champions League clash between Real Madrid and Barca in the Camp Noon. How much does that matter to us? And how much do we care about getting destroyed 9 0 versus 7 0 there? So decisions to be made and all tough matches ahead of us. So wipe this one, this result, it's gone. We can consider what it means for our level and where we need to be briefly or at the end of the season. But for now, we need to focus on the games ahead. All right, Grant,
1: we all good? Anything else we need to talk about? Just another shout-out to Misa. She always comes up big, big in these games and made some absolutely stunning saves to keep this from being an even worse scoreline.
0: Shout out to Niza always, our budding superstar. I think that's a good way to, to sign off the podcast as any. Rand, as always, my man, a pleasure talking to you even after a 5-0 loss to Barca. Ala Madrid. Al Madrid.